Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. We're having a special edition. Ooh, it's the special municipal politics edition. I didn't come up with a very good name, though. I'm I want to call it the For Elise edition. The For Elise, because she's yeah, not she here. she can't be here. Oh, yeah. Elise Stolte. Elise Stolte, our City Hall reporter, is actually busy covering the election. Shockingly so. <laughs> enough. So anyway, I'm your host, Emma Graney. Now, I usually, well, I know I do. I cover provincial politics. So this is going to be new to me. So I have some guests with me who know more about that than I do, including David Stables. How are you? I'm good, Emma. Good to be here. Lovely to have you. Paula Simons. Hello. Hello. And Janet French. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Janet is excited because one of the things we'll be talking about on today's politics is the school School board elections. And if Janet could talk about nothing but school all the time... You Janet would. would be happy. Yeah. Janet would even talk about herself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking a little bit about the school board elections, maybe, you know, where it's getting interesting there. Uh, and as you guess from the title, we're also going to be talking about the Merrill race here in Edmonton. It's very, not that exciting, really, compared with Calgary. So we might talk about Calgary, too. I <laughs> want to start off talking about the Merrill race because... It's quite interesting to me. I'm going to I'm going to be honest. I didn't think there were going to be that many people running against Edmonton Mayor Don Iverson. You didn't think that 12 people, 12 no. people would want to run against the mayor. I I no. I, 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 <laughs> I did I did not. Maybe maybe I was wrong. Obviously I was wrong because they are. Yeah. Um were you expecting this Paula? No. No, I really In wasn't. A word, no. <laughs> no, I mean I actually did think that there might be a right of center challenger who would come with backing from the business community and come legitimately mm. after Don Iveson. I mean, I think Iveson has been a very solid mayor, but certainly there are decisions he's made that have inflamed and divided people. And it's tough to knock off a mayor after one term, but I thought somebody might step forward. And instead we have... Some bodies. We have, it's, it's, like, it's like the the 12 dwarves. I, that's not nice. Um, instead, um, we it's have... It's not even accurate when you're talking <laughs> no. about nurse although, although Compared to Dawn. Compared to Dawn, everybody. <laughs> Everyone's but, um, but yeah, we have a lot of fringe candidates and no hopers. And, you know, the most legitimate candidate challenging Don Iveson is Don Koziak, um, who started off in electoral politics 21 years ago. As a serious, incredible candidate, and over years and years and years of running for everything and and losing, I mean, the last thing he ran for was in the Ward 12 by-election last year, where he finished 18th, um, which hasn't stopped him from running for mayor this time. Good on him for sticking out. David, you cover a lot of this stuff. Were you surprised to see so many people stepping forward and challenging Iverson? As recently as... July, it looked like no one, I think, might run against Iveson, that he might be acclaimed. Mm. So, but we all know, I mean, when we had the Millwoods by-election, or it's not Millwoods, but east of Millwoods, whatever, sorry, whatever that's called. Ward 12. <laughs> Ward 12. 
by-election. 30 people ran. 32. So that was an indication. Are you serious? That was an indication that this is out of control and that certain people should have been paying better attention to that, perhaps. Uh, because we needed to, you, you, you can't uh, you can't see the side eye he just gave me. But we needed to, <laughs> like this is my fault. Well, counselor, it wasn't your fault. Councillor Michael Oshry was right that we needed to raise the barrier for people running because you can't have a mayor's forum with that many people, especially when there's no, they're not credible candidates. There was a, there was actually a space for a credible right of center candidate to run in this election and to challenge Iveson on his agenda. Because when I'm out there talking to people, there's a lot of unhappiness about what's happened with LRT, what's happened with major projects, what's happened with infill, what's happened with social housing, what's happened with bike lanes. These are all things that the mayor has a real strong take on. And there's a lot of disagreement about what's happening in the city, uh, throughout the city on any number of these issues. It's interesting. I mean, he's such a strong candidate, though, I think. I don't see how he would have been beaten in this election. Yeah, and nobody nobody was brave enough. Nobody was willing willing to risk the money that it takes to run a credible campaign. So that instead, we have, as I say, Don Koziak, the only candidate with name recognition and any kind of track record in politics, having a press conference yesterday to announce, wait, that he wants to revisit the issue of smoking in bars and restaurants, a debate that we... <laughs> finished off quite <laughs> some time ago uh you know it's it, 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 it's so uh, you know i mean and i don't want to say not everybody running against iveson is a kook i mean there are some people that, uh, so David, david's nodding there 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 are some reasonable people there are some reasonable people who, who, are who have brought up reasonable ideas uh against don iveson and, and, inter- and interesting ideas i mean so to have somebody say hey it doesn't cost me very much to enter the mayoral race it's 500 dollars entry fee and you have to get 100 signatures so i think there is a place in democratic discourse for people who are never going to win to nonetheless avail themselves of the opportunity to run for mayor to make an argument in a public forum. But at the first actual public forum, I mean, it it degenerated before it even began with two candidates yelling at each other from from on either side of Iveson with with him standing in the middle looking like looking like dad oh, at a dear. kid's birthday party that had gone right off the rails. Well, the forums are interesting. Uh, I covered my first forum on Monday night, Ward 2. What what? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that interesting. You, you tweeted at one point that there were twenty six people in the audience. There were twenty six people when I got there, and then by the time it started, there were fifty one. And everyone had their pick of seats because it was an entire gymnasium full of seats. And uh, and my husband Yuri is covering wards, a couple of wards, and he went to his forum last night and said there were three hundred and thirty people there. Oh, which, he, so he, which part of the city was he in? That was Ward Five last ward night. Five. Which part of the city? Because people so don't know. There's an incumbent. There's no incumbent down there. That's west, Michael Oshry's old ward in, in the west. Yeah. West. West. I mean, technically, it's not south of the river, but it's south of. I mean, it's just because the river goes deep uh. south there. So, so um, because in, incumbents tend to win, right? Yeah. Since the ter- since in this century, forty four times incumbents have run for city council, and forty two times they've won. Now, just just to be clear, when David says this century, because somebody got mad at him. This is the twenty first I mean, century. I like, mean, this is, like this, this set, we're not in the last century anymore. Even if you were firmly rooted there, we are now here. So in this century, and the only time there's been people knocked off, it's been our two most exceptional politicians of that time. Mandel knocked off Bill Smith, and Iveson knocked off Mike Nichol. So it's extremely rare. Mm. This time we only have three wards where there are non-incumbent races. So those are the real battlegrounds. Mm. And I, I'm guessing that Yuri was, yeah, he was in a, a battleground. 
And that's where there's some really interesting debates about LRT going on versus BRT in that ward. There's a lot of unhappiness. There's a ton of commuters in the West End. And they're seeing what happened with the South LRT, where the lineups are, frankly, horrendous to get across the LRT line. And the even worse at the Metro line. And they're thinking, okay, I'm a commuter. I'm not going to use this mode of transit. If it's going to become a nightmare for me, this isn't on. This isn't happening. So there is every election, there's an issue, I think, that kind of bubbles up unexpectedly almost and i think at least in many parts of the city and certainly that that's the main issue there lrt seems like something that would have come up because transit always comes up doesn't it at municipal elections i know in australia it's exactly the same thing maybe not here maybe because transit isn't such a a thing well tra- transit is a thing and, and, and here's the irony i mean david and i although we disagree on some things, have both of us, I mean, we've been doing double barrel columns for years now advocating for LRT. So it's not, I mean, David takes the LRT to work. He doesn't drive. So it's not that he's like some horrible suburban <laughs> guy driving a giant Hummer to work every day, everybody. Um, I would love to see you driving a Hummer though, Dave. <laughs> I used to have a flex. That kind of qualifies. It's but, a pretty big, but, big honking vehicle on the like, road. I'll tell you, don't get in my way. He's got, he, he, he does have five kids and they all play hockey. So, you know, whatevs. But uh, th- th- what I think David has highlighted is that because the city not city council, but because city managers have fumbled on the delivery, particularly of the metro line, but also um, there are bottlenecks along the south, you know, near the university and near Southgate Mall. Uh, And so people look at that and they say, well, if you couldn't build the metro line, which is not very long and is still not running at proper speed and the signaling system still doesn't work getting from the downtown to Nate, it's understandable if people have become jaundiced. What concerns me is that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's plenty of opportunity to say we need to make sure that intersections like at 149th Street and Stony Plain Road or at 87th Avenue and 178th Street work properly. To say, I mean, the LRT West is supposed to be elevated at the Misericordia Hospital and West Edmonton Mall, so they've got above ground stations. Now you can't see my hand gesturing here, but if you can't, the listeners, you, Paula's <laughs> hand is a, around about it head like high right now. Right, though, right. Paula. But you know, if, if you if you kept if you kept it elevated past 178th Street, you could avoid a serious bottleneck there. So I, I'm all in favor of having those kinds of debates. But what made me tear my hair out was David's column last week where he interviewed these <laughs> Ward 5 candidates saying, no, let's not finish it. Let's not finish this, the Valley Line. Let's just build half of it. And I'm like, what? what the, you, you can't just build the bit from downtown to Mill Woods. If you don't build the other half, you've stranded an orphan. <laughs> orphan, orphan limb, you called yeah, it? Yeah, an orphan yeah. limb. Then I waved my arm around on the video. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a huge consensus in the city to uh, build our LRT. And it was to the point where last election for the first time, every single serious mayoral candidate supported LRT for the first time. Including Kerry Diot. Including Kerry Diot, who's a money-pinching person on the right. So, uh, but that has broken down because of, for really good reasons. The LRT was sold as, it's hey, it's going to end congestion. You know, it's going to be easier for you drivers, too, to get to work. And suddenly people are caught in eight-minute traffic stops on the south side to get across the lane, and even longer, I think, at the metro line. So, of course, there's going to be questions about it, and and rightfully so. They need to spend the money this time that they didn't spend. They cheaped out a little bit. They thought they could do it on the cheap, and they got to do it when they built the West End line. I think they are planning to do that, but a lot rides on the delivery of the um, uh, Millwoods LRT 
the valley line as it's called and whether this project has the same kind of problems in terms of delays and uh, traffic bottlenecks that was caused by the um, the, the Nate line the um, I know it did come up at the at the forum that I was at and one of the candidates in ward to Ali Haymore said that everyone all the city managers who worked on that should just be fired all the engineers and then just bring in some new ones well I mean we did fire the city manager in point of fact true I but mean, he so- didn't like the eight hundred thousand uh, dollar payout that old man well, got well you can't you can't fire people and then complain that they got their – I mean, this is how this is how contractual law <laughs> works. I'm very sorry. Uh, but in fact, we did fire – Tell it to Ali Haymore. <laughs> we, we did fire city manager Simon Farbrother, who was, you know, a nice guy. Um, I, I think one of, one of the problems that people had with Simon's management is that he was downplaying – uh, problems as they were coming up, and I think council felt blindsided that they weren't getting updated about just just how troubled the Metro Line project was. Yeah. So I mean, heads did roll. I mean, we fired a lot of people in the in the transportation realm or reassigned them. Uh, and this new line is a different technology. It's uh, it's more like a streetcar mm. and less like a train. So you know, the argument is that because it will be moving more. In the traffic that will cause less congestion, maybe that's not a, maybe maybe it will actually cause more congestion. All I know is that <laughs> we can't just because the metro line has fouled up uh, doesn't mean that you should say, oh well, okay, so all LRT is bad because there were mistakes made in the way that that piece was contracted. But if you're a commuter from the south, from the west, it's a fair comment to say it. Well, you know. I think well, I am a commuter from the west, and I, you know, that LR, that that west LRT line. Let me just say so that we we uh, you know uh, are legit are transparent <laughs> in my in my conflict of interest here. The west LRT line is supposed to go past my house, and so <laughs> I, I I am waiting for it in the same way that David, who lives in Belgravia, takes. I mean, he's he's telling you how aggrieved he is by the train that he in fact takes to work. I, I walked to work for the last year, Emma. So I know. I've read your column about no, that. Indeed, I'm, a bicy- I'm a cycle commuter, so <laughs> anyone who's... But I did take the train for yes, But I, I would, in fact, like the West LRT to be done in time for me to give up my driver's license, you know, and I figure by the time I'm 65, if, you know, it's like another eight, another 12 years from now, I would like, uh, you know, 12, 15 years to have my train. Fair enough. Okay. Janet. Can we talk about Ward 3? I was just going to say, yeah. What are you, what are you what covering? What about Ward 3? Okay, where's ward that? Three. Where's that? Okay, so I'm, that's my ward that I'm assigned to cover. Uh, and Ward 3 is north central Edmonton. It's it's like really, for a Southsider, it's, it's like super north. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> super like, like part there. of Castle Downs. Ward 3 is way up in the north. Uh, north parts of Castle Downs, neighborhoods like Dunluce, Beaumaris, uh, Seep. Clarvatten, Crystallina Nera, places yeah. I have never heard of before it's now. Next to my it's named after castles, see? Because it's Castle Downs. Those are those are not those um, are not new neighborhoods. I didn't know. Is that true? Yes. Paula would never tell <laughs> a lie. So what's <laughs> happening in Ward Three, Janet? What's happening in Ward Three? In, 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 the, lake, in the Lake District, things are named after lakes. I mean, it's Janet. What's happening in Ward Three? <laughs> well, Paula's, actually, Paula's treating this like a history lesson. Camelot. <laughs> They're just not going to let me talk, are they? Go for it. What's no. happening in Ward 3? Are you three? sure? Are you yeah. sure? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Uh, Ward 3, they had a forum on Wednesday night. I'm actually working on a story right now about 
transit access to Ward 3, it, transit didn't come up too much on Wednesday night uh, because they were just so busy crapping all over the bike lanes. <laughs> How dare they? It was a, there was a few like, um, yeah, that metro line's pretty slow. Like, are we sure we want that up here? So the current councillor, Dave Loken, teamed up with his Ward 2 uh colleague Bev Esslinger Mm -hmm. and they made this proposal to city council that okay it looks like LRT is not going to come to the north and the northwest eventually it'll kind of go up straight into the north and then turn due west towards St. Albert that's the current plan Uh, some of the candidates do not like that proposed route they say that it carves up their neighborhood and they're worried about it you know breaking apart communities of interests or you know again in sort of impeding vehicular traffic Uh, but the idea is that they want to build, sorry, they being Esslinger and uh, Loken, would like the city to pitch in money now to build a bridge over top of the CN rail yards and the Yellowhead. And then this bridge would, would be like a dedicated express bus bridge. And I think oh. pedestrians and bikes. Yeah. So um, they're saying like, let's just begin the infrastructure for the Northside LRT. We'll put in an express bus route. It'll save, shave, you know, 10, 15 minutes off of people's commute because there's real bottlenecks to get around that rail yard and get it down from the North side to downtown. Yeah. Uh, and not just downtown, but like Nate, the university, whatever, like they all get stuck kind of behind that, um, that rail corridor. So uh, they say, okay, let's put express buses up and down this route and then we'll shave some time off and then we can just convert that bridge to a rail line. And it's it's actually hard to find someone who's like, that's a terrible idea. I mean, people are kind of hmm about it. But then there there are some who think like, well, why would we build this $150 million bridge and reserve it only for rail? Couldn't we use it for rail and cars? What do you mean for buses, not rail? Well, no, it will be for buses. But then they're saying... Once there is light rail, they will convert it from a express bus bridge to a rail bridge. Oh. He's saying oh. it should be multi-purpose. That it's like I it's see. like building a piece of the LRT network in advance and, and then, then converting using it over. It. Yeah, and then using it in the meantime. Brisbane, my hometown, has a lot of um, express buses and a lot of specific bus tunnels, bus bridges, bus lanes, bus everything because there is a lot of traffic congestion there. And I think they're nailing it right now. To be honest with you, like they've had a rail line forever, but the buses is what they're doing. It's all going underground, under the river, kind of next to the river, over the river, <laughs> down through places. So it really allows them to get through and it's taking a lot of traffic off the road. I'll be surprised if we build more LRT yeah. after the West Line. I think the BRT is probably going to be the answer and that that's what the North is going to get. The North has another problem. In the, when you're, We're starting to hear this argument from uh, councillors in the South that there's way more people in South Edmonton and if we're going to invest in LRT, it makes far more sense to do it uh, on the South LRT line, just extend that rather than build the North Line. So that's going to be the big, and it's going to be quite an ugly debate, uh, well, d- because, dividing the city in yeah. a way that it hasn't been divided in quite a while. Oh, but I you think should the have answer- heard the tenor of these Ward 3 candidates on, on Wednesday. It was, some, one of them actually said, the South Side is a black hole that sucks all our money away. Not, which is just not well. true. <laughs> I, I, I Sorry live, to interrupt. Uh, I, I, unlike any, Emma and I live on the North Side of the river. Uh, although we don't exactly live north north no. but i mean i think i think the north has a really good point that it is the perennial forgotten child and i think there's going to be a lot of pressure coming from st albert too because you know nolan kraus who's the uh, outgoing mayor of st albert was one of the people who came to the table with the capital region board to push the province to give green trip dollars to Edmonton for LRT, kind of on the assumption that one day St. Albert would be hooked into the system. Uh, Express buses might 
be an interim solution to that. But then they really, I mean, that's why you can't have the bridge be for everything, because if it's going to be dedicated for express buses, it has to be dedicated for express buses. Those Calder yards are going to be a problem for a very long time. I mean, we've gotten rid of the downtown rail yards. We've gotten rid of the, you know, a chunk of the rail yards that came up to White Avenue and were a huge impediment to development in Old Strathcona. But those Calder yards are, are there to stay. And having a workaround, which would take traffic off 97th Street, um, could be a big help. I mean, there, there's a, there are a, there are a lot of people living in North Edmonton. Maybe not as many as in South Edmonton, but you know, you drive up in the north and the northeast. Uh, that's a lot of new communities up there. I mean, Castle Downs is a really old neighborhood. There's way, way more stuff further north than that, going all you know, there's almost tons, all the yeah, way to Bonacourt. Housing developments up there. I know this because I did a, a, a tour of my ward. Uh, in my car because I'd never been there or I didn't think I'd been there. I wasn't actually sure when I was first given Ward 2. So it turns out I hadn't been to large portions of it. And there you go. And I found some new housing developments. I did I talk know. to some transit riders who live in Ward 3 up in Chauncey. And I think the other one lived in Canosa. Uh, Canossa. I'm not sure how you say that neighborhood name. Um, they're both quite far north. And and the issue is the connections, right? They have to they have to take three buses each to get to their work, yeah. and it takes them an hour and a half each way on a bad day. That doesn't work. So it's it's not even necessarily the bus service would be terrible from that distance. It's the the routing. It seems to be is what's tripping these people up. And and Ward Three has extremely low transit ridership compared to the rest of the city. It's like ten percent or something like that. Say they take LRT or sorry not LRT. 10% say that they take transit to work or school, which lags much of the rest of the city. In Clareview, which is another one of the battlegrounds, that's where Ed Gibbons is retired. The the Interestingly, the issue there is that they have LRT. They, they were the first to have it, so the north side does get things before anyone else at times. <laughs> they have a new rec center, the Clareview Rec Center. Which is very nice. Which is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, But the big issue there is social housing. There's a... Uh, you know, the city has this piece of land on the LRT near the Belvedere station, which has sat empty for 15 years, showing what a terrible property developer the city is. And um, the plan there is for Homework Trust to build some uh, social housing, which includes some housing for people with addictions problems. And the community there is in a complete uproar about this, and mm. it's dividing the... the uh, candidates who are running there so you know that's the main issue uh, in terms of uh, most of them all agree we want better transit we want better business we want this we want that but this is one issue where people are actually lining up on different sides and uh, what i would recommend to voters is look for the candidate who obviously whose values align with yours because there's a, a distinct difference in their yeah. positions on this one. Oh, interesting um i want to switch gears now just briefly to the um what is it that you talk about, Janet? Schools. School boards. The school, school board boards. elections. She's like waggling her finger at me like, you, why, you, why, why are you here? Yeah. It's not something that um, we necessarily hear that much about is school board elections. We like, don't. And it, by goodness, it's not for lack of my Janet trying. Janet just looked really angry for a second. No, no, not angry, angry. More just like exasperated like, We should really care because this is yes. the level Should I give my pitch yeah. for why we should care? Well, it's like the poor cousin of council elections so yeah, often, and you know what? It? Okay, so here's the thing. What the, the city's budget each year is a billion dollars. The public school board's budget is bigger. Okay, that's nine people that control more money than all those councillors together. So think about that. Catholic school board is like $508 million, so mm. about half the size. Still a lot of money, you guys. Um, and I mean, if you think about a lot of the hot topics in education right now about, uh, 
the way certain subjects are taught in class and what are what kind of what are we talking about in class and what uh, you know some of the political topics about gay straight alliances in school i mean these are all things that uh, school board trustees talk about. Yeah, and showing the dysfunction that was in the Catholic school board in the last term. I mean, goodness knows, yeah. we, you know, all three all three of us sitting here wrote stories about the dysfunctional Catholic school board. Um, not, not, not Not so much you, yeah, but uh, uh, the Catholic school board needs a reboot in a serious and important way. And so, you know, what happens to both those school boards? A lot of culture wars get fought out at school board tables and school boards. I mean, um, it, the Catholic school board came darn near to being fired by David Egan because he was so frustrated mm. with them. And we'll remember that you know years ago, Lyle Oberg fired the Catholic. Uh, we'll remember that years ago, Lyle Oberg fired the Calgary Board of Education because the their public school board there was just a complete uh, disaster. So you you actually want to pay attention to who you vote for for city count for uh, school trustee, even if you don't have kids in the system. And you just had a Freudian slip there. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Pay attention to council. I mean, so pay, what are yeah. the what are the big issues coming up here in this? You uh, want to talk Catholic board? or public first? Um, Paul has already segued into Catholic, so let's start there. Okay. Why not? We okay. only have a few minutes, so. Oh, you cruel mistress. <laughs> Yeah, the Catholic school board doesn't want any talk like that. I know, so let's get at it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so things were coming, were quite peaceful uh, so far in the early part of the campaign until one of the outgoing trustees, Patricia Grahl, who has always been very outspoken on several things, just lobbed a few fireballs in there, uh, making a bunch of allegations on her blog, some of which I can't repeat. Um, but uh, I don't want to get sued. No, uh, but including topics such as that the bishop... Uh, Archbishop has too much influence. The church has too much sway over what's happening in Catholic schools. That they're meddling it's a in Catholic decisions. Board shouldn't the church? There's I'm kind just of repeating what she's saying. And, uh, and she eventually came around to saying that she doesn't think there should she be Catholic think school. She doesn't think there should anymore, be Catholic school, which is yeah. an amazing thing for a Catholic school <laughs> yeah. trustee to say. So, uh, and the other thing she said was that the that the the tail is wagging the dog. The administrators are are controlling the the board and not the other way around. And uh, th- that's a that's a pretty common criticism of municipal politics <laughs> in many in many circumstances but uh so it had been quite peaceful uh and then now she's come out with a second blog post endorsing particular candidates so uh you know endorsing her her allies on the board and then also endorsing the people that are running against the people that she clashed with on the board which is very interesting because she she seems to have a lot of um fans on social media so that that does create the dynamic uh that does make things interesting. So one uh, another thing that she put up was she posted these pictures of a school uh, vice principal who had election signs like those big magnets on her car for mm. one candidate. And the, the car was parked outside school property, which is technically OK, like for the, the rules. Um, but. You know, some people had some questions about whether, you know, how far should a teacher or a school staff member go to campaign for a particular candidate? And what happens if they lose or win? Then what does that do to their relationship with their trustee? So, well, I mean, bringing this to provincial politics, (laughs) apparently it's just fine to back one person as you want to have for leader and then just get along with it. So these big issues that come up on a provincial stage, like GSAs, the curriculum overhaul, is any of that coming up? Yes. So one candidate to watch is uh, all all of the incumbents are 
challenged on the Catholic School Board, but only three incumbents out of seven are running. So there will be change on the Catholic School Board. And if you watch their little videos that they've posted online, which is what they do in lieu of actually having an election forum, um, they almost every challenger is talking about how they can, they're great team builder and they work well together (laughs) and they just want to get along and how they're really committed to that. They're going to bring harmony back to the Catholic School Board and all the, you know, Uh, and But then there's one candidate, and it's nice to see a couple of younger people running. Um, there's one candidate in Ward 77 who's challenging the board chair, Laura Tibbert. And, and her video is all about how she's very concerned about LGBTQ rights. So huh. she might kind of pick up where, you know, on the more uh, progressive side where Patricia Grell left off, possibly. That's that's one to watch anyway. And the public board? Are they? The public board. Ward A is like a festival of candidates. There are, uh, there <laughs> that are sounds really seven fun. Festival of candidates, <laughs> literally. Uh, there, there are seven people, six challenging the incumbent Cheryl Johnner. Uh, and Cheryl is the kind of person who will be at every community fundraiser you could possibly imagine we've seen her dress up like a lobster and sing yeah um, who among us has <laughs> not though let's be honest <laughs> emma and i were were there at the time so <laughs> she is just everywhere and she's super involved in the in the public schools foundation which is like a fundraising arm uh and then she's being challenged by uh edmonton's poet laureate ahmed nomadic mm-hmm. ali who's very young and also very connected with a lot of young people in the community so be interesting to see if he can get more young people engaged in voting. Uh, there's also a man running called Joseph Lurie. He has been working with newcomers, and I think with the Edmonton Mennonite Center for quite a while, okay. so he's got a lot of connections there. And I'm not going to mention all seven, but there's also uh, James Galt, who's kind of an unknown, and he used to lead the New Reform Party in Ontario, which was one of these family-first oh. conservative oh, kind of movements. <laughs> James yeah. Galt. Why why do you think, and I want to bring this to the political side of things, why do you think it is that school board elections just don't get the press? Dave? It's for a very good reason. They may have a big budget, but very little of it is discretionary. I mean, they have to pay the teacher salaries. They got to build the schools. It's not like city council where you're deciding on, say, LRT or BRT or something like that. They have very little real power. They're often in the hands of the superintendents. They do the superintendent's bidding. The province makes all of the main calls on education, really. It's, it's, it's not a very powerful position. You know, so, back, back in the day, it didn't used to be that way. They had their own taxing power and they set their own mill rate. But uh, under Ralph Klein, all of the money was sort of centralized and that decision-making power was centralized. And school boards largely lost their taxing power unless they hold a special referendum to you know raise money for a particular thing. But, but they, they do control things that people in their in their neighborhood care about like whether the school stays open or closed they decide which schools should be replaced or or which new schools should be built first they decide the priority list even though they don't get to decide when they're built and they even decide what to name schools which seems to matter to people i it's always been interesting to me as a former education reporter as well because now i don't have kids but I would have thought that if you had kids, having the people on your school board and voting for them would be something you might be interested in doing. Edmonton Public did a survey and found that more than 50% of parents even with, with children did not know who their school trustee did. And even more did not know what a school trustee does, like what is their job. And it wasn't like a, you know, it was a multiple choice question, like yes or no. They weren't even being asked to list their job. Seems to be <laughs> so a they're not even confident to 
seems to be a springboard job to higher levels of political office. That so so that's if you if you want to give someone a head start in their political career, you can vote them in to be a trustee. Yeah. And uh, it's useful in that way for political parties to foster new candidates. But I think, you know, it's also, it's also I think, a little bit on the media that this happens. I mean, Janet is pretty much... Not on mu- Janet. No, no, no Janet's, Janet. Janet's pretty much the only person in Edmonton covering school boards. There are occasional visits from our broadcast friends. You know, when it's a particularly heated subject. Yes. But it used to be that school board was a bread and butter beat that every that every news organization covered because you could always get something out of a school board meeting even if yeah. it was a story about how you know the school put in a fancy new fish tank to teach children how fish have sex or something you know you could, you could <laughs> what an odd example how did we get here <laughs> no you, you, you did a story a couple of months ago about a school that put aquaponics in a super, super fancy fish pond you know you could always you could always get a color story even if you couldn't get a political story that, out it, of, that out is of a school so board true meeting. as I a former education you can <laughs> but you're right there is a lot in education that just doesn't get covered. And Janet and I used to have this discussion a lot when we were both education reporters in Saskatchewan. It often kind of falls by the wayside, I yeah. think. So I want to, um, I do want to just very briefly talk about the Calgary mayoral election because it is, watching it from Edmonton, it seems like a certified shit fight to me. <laughs> it's a great race. I mean, we, we had a great arena debate, but it never came up in an election like this. So, mm-hmm. so that adds a lot of heat to it. Uh, Mayor Nenshi has, I think, has had a fundamental problem on that council. If you look at voting patterns on that council, he has always been a minority. So the leader of the city, who has a certain agenda, his what he wants to happen, the majority of councillors, they don't want to happen. Yeah, and this is and it's, this is- it's led to terrible acrimony and lots of fights, and it's actually stalemated that city. Calgary has not moved ahead significantly like Edmonton has, charged ahead like gangbusters in the last... 15, 20 years because Calgary has been a divided city for the first time and I kind of like it. But um, <laughs> we'll see. I think the, the, there, there, there is a right of center mayor candidate. There's, there's a really hard push to uh, get rid of Nenshi and all the people who support him and we'll see if they have success. Yeah, no, David is absolutely right. I mean, this is something Stephen Mandel and, and Don Iveson were both really able to do. Mandel it was a harder task because Mandel had to herd cats and he was absolutely brilliant at building temporary coalitions. So he'd get this group of counselors to support him on one issue and a different group of counselors to support him on the other issue. Uh, Don, I think, has had an easier time of it because there have been more like-minded members mm. of Edmonton City Council, but they were both able to rally the votes to get what they wanted. And Nenshi, although he still, I think, has huge personal popularity and lots of name recognition, mm. um, has never been able to move his council forward in the same way. Now he's running against Bill Smith, who is not to be confused with Edmonton's <laughs> former mayor, Bill Smith. Um, uh, but it's such an unusual name. <laughs> Bill Smith is the former president of the Progressive Conservative Party uh, provincially. So uh, I don't know how much name recognition he has. Maybe if your name is Bill Smith, everybody recognizes <laughs> your name no matter what. But uh, it's going to, you know... The feeling I'm getting from watching Calgary Stories is that Nenshi's probably still safe, but it's it's actually going to be a dogfight, not like not like the Don Iveson uh, walk in the park We're against twelve other people. <laughs> I mean, there's enough, yeah, enough people running against him. They're just going to split any kind of opposition to Iveson oh, anyway, just, probably. Yeah. Right? Well, it's been fun to watch, and again, 
We're not in Calgary, but it's fun to watch it from the sidelines, I think. Yeah, I think he's going to lose. You think he's going to lose? I think Nechi's going to lose, yeah. Oh, wow. oh, shall we place a wager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that... that and I only that, bet on sure things, and that is not a sure thing. <laughs> that, would, that would be a blow to Don Iverson, who, I mean, he and Nenshi are close personal friends. They've been able to move agendas forward on the provincial level by working together. Uh, if Iverson lost a progressive ally in Calgary, that would be a blow to Edmonton, I think, even though, um, as, as David said, perhaps Nenshi's, the, the fractious nature of Calgary City Council has allowed us a certain edge in the last few years. Right on. Well, everyone go vote on October 16. And we're going to vote for your school trustee. As oh. Can I add, I'm sorry to jump around. Can go. I add one more thing about school trustees that I didn't get to that I really wanted to mention? Yes. That this is super important. So people care about social issues, right? And there are several wards, especially on the south side, where this election for, for public school trustee is going to be fought on social issues. The, the microcosm of this is in Ward G, where Bridget Sterling, who is a very progressive advocate for comprehensive sex education, and she was she was the one pushing this uh, this issue about not notifying um, uh, parents or families if a child joins a gay straight alliance, is up against uh, a very socially conservative young man um, who was a Jason Kenney delegate and is quite frank on his website and his policy platforms about putting families first and improving math education and uh, they're very it's okay far apart <laughs> I, i'm all in favor as is david of improving math education you don't need to out gay kids to make that happen yeah those weren't the sa- like the same policy page but <laughs> yeah, anyway I think there's a little so, issue s- slippage yeah there. so so they're um, we can all unite yeah. i hope <laughs> Around the need to improve our math education, and some of the people who are who are running uh, in, for the public school board actually have fairly strong church connections. Which take it take it or leave it for whatever that is. Interesting, but it's too. it's interesting because this is a secular school board. Mm. So um, mm. just wanted to flag that. Yeah, fair enough. All right, I want to move to our regular segment, good stuff from the gallery, in which we recommend things that you might enjoy that we've seen or read or listened to in the past week or so, David. Do you have anything for us? I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yep. And there's a great podcast. I, I come from kind of a liberal, libertarian point of view. And uh, the Rubin Report, uh, a New York uh, journalist. I don't know if he's a journalist. He never used to be, but his, his last name's Rubin. Excellent podcast, very provocative uh, with all kinds of um, people from that uh, political viewpoint in the United States, which are often drowned out in this debate by people on the left, people on the right in this Trump debate. There is this huge group of people who um, really believe strongly in liberty and freedom. And that, that's if you're interested in those kind of issues, the Rubin Report is where you should go. Paula. Well, in honor of David's uh, interest in sports and in honor of a really excellent piece that your husband, Yuri Graney, uh, put in my Facebook stream. Uh, oh, yeah, that was good. I am going to recommend, this is an unusual choice for me, it's from Yahoo Sports by a writer named Jeff Passan. I think this is the first time I've ever recommended anything from Yahoo Sports. Um, uh, and it's called, This is Why Bruce Mowat Knelt During the National Anthem. And it's a story about a young mixed race player with the Oakland A's baseball team. Uh, baseball players have not been as present as NFL football players uh, in the protests for Black right, uh, for Black Lives Matter and against Trump. Uh, but this is a beautiful essay about one young player that most people have probably never heard of uh, playing in a sport where I hadn't realized um, the article says that there are hardly any more black players in Major League Baseball now than there were 
after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. So it's a really interesting piece that looks at the politics of Major League Baseball, that looks at what it is to be a black or mixed race kid growing up in the American South. And it's just a beautiful piece of writing. It is a good piece. You're right. Um, I am going to recommend something from bustle.com. It's called How Feminist Cross-Stitching Became a Tool of the Resistance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As a cross-stitcher myself, I actually haven't cross-stitched in a number of years, but I took to cross-stitching when I was living in Newfoundland because I was bored. (laughs) And I would basically do offensive cross-stitches. And it's a really interesting piece about how women are uh, taking up cross-stitching again or getting back to their crafty roots, but doing it and taking it the feminist route and... um, it's fantastic and has given me a lot of ideas about things I now need to embroider. Uh, and one one of the major points was it was I was just so angry I had to stab something 3,000 times. So, <laughs> <laughs> cross-stitch is perfect. Janet? I never thought of that when I was knitting about repeatedly stabbing my garment. But anyway, um, I'm also going to recommend a podcast because I'm a podcast lover. And it's another, another radio lab one called Driverless Dilemma. Oh. And um, it's all about how basically the the new the next societal changing uh, technology after phones will be driverless vehicles, but it goes beyond just like oh, you take a car to the store and you put your groceries and the car drives you home. It it talks about the vision of what if you could do things in the driverless vehicle. What if it becomes your gym or your office or what if you have a movie? Anyway, uh, and then it actually wanders off into some philosophical thought experiments that I won't go on about. You should just listen to it instead. Sounds interesting. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this uh, very special Municipal Politics Edition. David Staples, Paul Simons, Simons and Janet French. Oh, and thank you as well to Sean Butts, who joined us to film some of this and put online at edmontonjournal.com. We can find all our previous episodes of the, of the Press Gallery. You can also subscribe to SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio and Google Play. Google! Woo. That's right. For thank, all thanks Android to a listener users. who suggested that. Yeah, thank you so much. And we're working to get on Stitcher as well. So hopefully we'll get some more um, ways to listen to the Press Gallery very soon. Next week is our 200th episode of the Press Gallery podcast. Yeah. So we might have a cake or something, which listeners, you can't have. But, you know, <laughs> bake one, you know, That's at right. home. Everybody at home, bake a cake and then we'll all eat our cake together. It'll be, a, it'll be beautiful. It'll be a bonding moment for all Press Gallery listeners. Hope you join us this time next week on the Press Gallery. Thank you.